Well, good afternoon, everybody, and welcome to an FS Club ESOP Centre webinar. Um, with me, Ian Harris, I'll be the chairman today, um, and I'm uh, delighted to introduce uh, once again uh, David Craddock, um, who is the founder and director of David Craddock Consultancy Services. And uh, for those of you who are regular attendees of these things, um, as you know, I, I, I love introducing David as an expert on a subject because he really is um, an, an, an expert um, on the, the subject of uh, employee uh, share ownership um, schemes to such an extent that he, he is the man who wrote the book, The Tolly's Guide to Employee Share Schemes, um, and, and, and a, a, a jolly good book, um, the book on uh, that topic, it is too. Um, and uh, I, I'm actually personally fascinated with today's um, uh, talk and uh, discussion uh, because it's a subject that's been on my mind for many years, which is the notion of having share schemes for non-employees. Um, and this is very topical at the moment, I think, with you know, the gig economy uh, being an increasingly large part of, uh, uh, of, of, the, uh, of, of the working uh, environment. Uh, but, but back in the day when, uh, when we set up Zien in the mid-1990s, um, our model was very much based on a, a mixture of employees and associates, and we were intrigued by the idea of, of being able to enable employees um, and associates who were not employees uh, to participate in, in, in equity if they, if they wanted to. Um, uh, so uh, th this is an, uh, an interesting and, I believe, very topical uh, subject. Um, so um, you're hearing from me. But, uh, Doer in that picture. Um, we are very grateful to uh, the sponsors of the uh, FS Club and the ESOP Centre for enabling us to do this programme of, of webinars. We wouldn't be able to do it without their uh, forbearance and, uh, and generosity. And in front of you here is a list of the um, FS Club uh, sponsors um, in, in all of their glory. It's um, uh, a, a, a long list of, of wonderful organizations, all of whom um, uh, uh, participate and help us um, in this program. And very specifically with the uh, ESOP Center, um, this uh, group uh, of organizations are the uh, sponsors, uh, members of the ESOP Center. Um, and again, we're extremely grateful to all of these uh, organizations for uh, enabling us uh, to put on this uh, program of interesting uh, webinars. Uh, today's agenda is quite straightforward. Um, uh, hopefully I'm not using up all of my five minutes to introduce David. I might be getting close now. David's going to speak for about 20 or, or 25 uh, minutes and then we will have questions and answers afterwards. And, and certainly it's been a feature of, of, of David's, indeed most of our webinars, uh, but particularly David's, uh, that we, uh, we get some very interesting uh, questions and the discussion at the uh, end of the, of the webinar is a very valuable part of, uh, uh, of the afternoon. Uh, you will see um, on your panel that you have a questions button uh, that you can uh, press uh, in, in order to ask your question. Please use the GoToWebinar questions panel to, uh, to, to send your questions to us. Fascinating as it is to receive um, uh, emails or, or, or texts from people who, who know us uh, we, we are we are sort of locked into this uh, webinar 
uh, chamber, this particular part of the metaverse, we are locked in for uh, uh, for the minutes that we're with you. Um, so we don't see anything outside it, but we do see the questions that you ask here. So please ask them in this environment, and uh, uh, and we will endeavour to answer all the, or David will endeavour to answer all the questions uh, during the webinar. If we have so many that we can't answer them all, we pass on all the questions to David and he will endeavour to answer them uh, to you privately. So it really is worth asking the questions if you have them. Um, uh, so I've already told you who today's speaker is. Without further ado, let me hand you over to Mr. David Craddock. Right, thank you, Ian. I, I know that there's a lot of interest in this particular webinar. Um, I think it's the 11th in the series that we've uh, done since um, uh, the ESOP Centre combined with the FS Club. And I've had some very interesting feedback already on uh, the sort of things that people want to, um, to see addressed through this, this presentation. Um, it's a subject about um, economics, it's a subject about business psychology, um, it's a subject about the interaction between economics and, and business psychology, both at an individual level and at, um, and at a, um, a corporate level and at a national level. So um, let's get into the, the detail of the subject. Um, I, I've tried to address questions um, through these slides, and those of you who've attended my webinars before know that my approach is to include a lot of detail on the slides. The reason why I do that is to enable you to have notes, detailed notes, on what I've said. It gives you the opportunity to go back over the notes and, um, and, and, and hold them for future reference within your practices and within your businesses. And if, if anything comes up that's of interest to you, do contact me. You can get my email address from the slides as well. So, this first key question, what is the gig economy in the UK? And I'm focusing here on the UK for the duration of this presentation. Um, I, I've pulled that to start with a number of definitions. Um, it's always a good place to start. Define your terms, yes? Um, so uh, a definition which was publicized uh, by the BBC for a documentary on the gig economy. The gig economy is a labor market, we know that, characterized by the prevalence of short-term or freelance work as opposed to permanent jobs. It is work that does not have the characteristics of employment, such as pension arrangements or holiday pay or sick pay. So it's, it's temporary job type arrangement. It's short-term. And it doesn't have what, what in, in tax terms, for tax law, we call the, the aggregate of factors to determine employment. Um, in fact, the aggregate of factors determine the very reverse, that it's not employment. It is definitively not employment. Um, I've then uh, uh, identified the second definition for you, which was produced by the Department of Business, Energy and Industrial Strategy, the, the BEIS of the British government, um, jointly with the Institute of Employment Studies. The gig economy involves the, the exchange of labour for money between individuals or companies via digital platforms that actively facilitate matching between providers and customers on a short term and payment by task basis. Two key things to pick out there actually is um, short term and payment by task. That's a very, very interesting phrase indeed. So it's not payment by time involved in the job. It's, it's, it, it's payment by task, which is actually accomplished. And the other thing which I'd want to pull out of that definition, actually, um, is that uh, not always, but very often, the operation of the gig economy is actually supported by the, a digital platform. Yes, a technological platform, which assists the communication between the, um, the, the individuals 
uh, and the companies, the customers or the suppliers. And then I've taken this final definition taken from the Gig Economy Statistics UK 2021 Industry Report. The gig economy is a large and growing section of the working population where short term flexible workers are paid on completion of tasks known as gigs. This term gig, of course, comes from the entertainment world, the gig, where you go and see your favourite band play in Earl's Court or the Albert Hall or somewhere, uh, instead of being paid for the amount of time they work. So it's reiterating the points um, in the previous definitions. Let's go then to the next slide. Uh, that last definition says the gig economy is large. Well, let's just have a look at how large it is. So these are some key statistics which support the presentation for today. So um, uh, based on uh, historic figures and uh, 2022 demographic projection figures from the UK Office of National Statistics, uh, in 2016, there were 2.3 gig workers in the UK, which is a very large number. It really is. Uh, by 2019, 4.7. So moving from 16 to 19, note the, note the increase. It's doubled in that three years. Will that trajectory continue? Well, the projection for uh, 2022, which is only next year, it's only four months away, is uh, some 7.5 million people will become gig workers by the end of 2022. Um, Gig-based freelancers do actually contribute 20 million pounds to the UK economy. 48% of gig workers in the UK also have a full-time job. So that gives you an indication how gig work often works. It works alongside a full-time job. And for 71.5% of them, uh, gig work makes up less than half of their income. Um, the male-female dynamic, 16.5% of the UK's male population, that's the whole of the male population in the UK are gig workers. That compares with 14.1% for the UK's female population. 31.5% of UK's gig workers are aged 16 to 24, while some 16.4% are aged 25 to 34. So it's important to recognise that um, although gig work does actually extend across all, all age groups, um, it's driven primarily by uh, the younger generation. 74% um, of gig workers who work full time and see their work as significant indicated in uh, the survey uh, that they were satisfied with the situation. Yes, they were motivated and satisfied by the situation, although that tapers down to 48% for those operating uh, more casually as, as gig workers, which we would call occasional work. OK, next slide then, please, Ian. So on, on this slide, I've asked two questions. How did the gig worker emerge and what are the reasons for going gig? You like that phrase? Yeah, going gig. It's good, isn't it? Um, so um, although there's always been some sort of gig working, um, really <laughs> going back into um, not, not just the last century, but the century before, although it wouldn't have been called gig, um, it, it really emerged as a phenomenon uh, from the 2008 financial crisis. Uh, for some, it was the decision of, of choice of independence, that they didn't want to be uh, dependent on jobs where they could be made redundant. So choice of independence, they wanted to be captain of their own ship, as we say. And for others, a, a choice of necessity, just reluctantly, um, out of redundancy, 
at, at the time um, they chose to go down the gig route. The single most widely reported motivation for wanting to work as a gig worker is to introduce flexibility into your life. And the reason for, for wanting to go flexible are many. It could be you're caring for a family member. It could be you're a student wanting flexible work alongside your studies. It could be you're an individual wanting greater control over how you spend your time. The, um, uh, the Business Energy and Industrial Strategy Report of February 18 reports six key reasons for an individual choosing to work in the gig economy. Um, a belief that the gig economy is the future of work. Okay, I've got, I've got a slide on that later, the end of the employment era. Or is it? We will question and explore. Um, an attempt to pursue a dream job, fulfilling your, your dream. Uh, you know, maybe, maybe you want to be a writer, and so you have other jobs to keep you going while you're building up your profile as a as an author um, within the uh, within the reading community. An opportunity to earn additional income while pursuing a specific goal. An opportunity to gain work experience. That's what um, university students are encouraged to do these days. When they graduate, whatever you can get, just get experience. Okay. A desire for working conditions better suited to your own health um, condition, whether, whether it be physical health or, or mental health, you might not want to work in a, in a large company because you, uh, you experience some form of claustrophobia, for example. Um, or it might be that you're physically disabled and you need to work from home because you simply can't move around. You're um, bound in a, in a wheelchair, but your, your mind is active and you're ambitious and you can work at your desk and at your computer. And a determination to transition to a positive experience from redundancy. I love that one that a lot of people see redundancy as a negative aspect of their lives, but the gig worker will take redundancy and say, I'm gonna turn my life around. I'm gonna make sure that I make myself indispensable to my customers and to my clients. Good, right, let's go on to the next slide. Uh, right, the end of the employment era, not really, not really, but it, it is interesting to explore. There's a number of interesting books over the last 30, 40 years that have explored this this idea. Uh, James Robertson was an interesting book I read on this subject. Um, it's come out in in uh, various publications. I, I think first in 78, I think the last one was about 20, maybe 15 years ago. It's called The Sane Alternative, The Choice of Futures. It heralds the transition away from the consumer economy into, into what is known as the conserver economy with, with higher expectations for personal fulfillment, not necessarily equating to material um, acquisition and accumulation. And the characteristic of this new economy, this conserver economy, is spending less based on a new lifestyle, which doesn't, just doesn't require the previous spending and consumption levels of previously. I take from this concept, the, and, and, and I put it into the domain for discussion today, uh, that, that the key lesson to learn from this particular book um, is that the business psychology of employees, maybe all people today in 21, is dramatically different from that of previous generations. That might sound a very simplistic um, distillation, um, but that's my take. And that's what I'm sharing with you today, my take on the gig economy and, and how it connects with employee share schemes. There's, there's loads written about the gig economy, but there's virtually nothing written about the connection between the gig economy and employee share schemes. So the employee share ownership ethic. That is both a response to and a facilitator of the changing expectations within society. It operates best, employee ownership operates best, when there's a structure of compatible human resource policies operating alongside it, encouraging individuals as employees within a company 
to develop creative, motivated, productive, um, entrepreneurial type mindsets. I, I, ironically, it's those type of individuals who find a home in the gig economy as well. Maybe we, we want them in both places. Maybe we want them in the company as, as people with an entrepreneurial mindset operating within the employing company, the progressive employing company. And we also want them operating as gig workers so that there's a, there's a nice um, fusion and, and, um, and, and chemistry between the two groups as they service the company. Let's go to the next slide. So um, uh, challenges of introducing share schemes to the gig workers. I've, I've got four key questions here. First question is, uh, what about available shares? Are there available shares? The, the shares are normally rationed to a particular percentage of the share capital, say 10% max really in a quoted company, up to anything really, I suppose, in a private company, depending on the, the uh, will of the board of directors. Um, but does that raise a problem? My answer is that, yes, the decision has to be made um, on a balance of share allocation to employees compared with share allocation to gig workers. Um, that decision, this is really crucial, that decision must always be driven by the expectations of contribution to productivity through involvement in the share scheme. As I always say, uh, we, we don't want our share scheme simply to be a pretty figurine sitting on the mantelpiece like my, like my pots behind me. No, uh, we want it to have a utility purpose that serves the, the productivity of the business and the developing growth and value. If Headroom is, if Headroom on available shares does pose a problem, then possibly we use a phantom share option scheme, which is essentially a, a deferred bonus scheme, not linked to shares. That will meet the requirements. And, and I, I got proven evidence through, through my own uh, uh, case file that that can be an effective motivator. Question two, gig workers do not to conform to a homogeneous model. You know, it's not like Japan, 98% of people living in Japan are Japanese ethnic, nothing like that at all. I, I just use that as a throwaway illustration. Um, there's a wide variety of life aspirations, a wide variety of, of, of work preferences within the Git community. So how does the company design a share scheme to be suitable for all of them? Yes. Answer. This is the answer. Okay, this, this, this is what I found to be the answer. The share scheme structure for the gig worker must be very simple, exceedingly simple. And maybe we can learn lessons there for the employee community as well. Keep it as simple as possible based upon direct communication of the simple message. Yeah, always remember that direct communication of the simple message always wins the day. Let's go on to question three, which is on the next slide. Um, gig workers are not subject to company training programs, performance management procedures or internal decision making committees. So how can the sister policies to employee share ownership, which make employee share ownership work, you know, the participation type subjects, um, the involvement type subjects for, for employees, um, uh, how can you then implement a worker, gig worker share ownership work type arrangement for the gig worker? Well, the answer is this. OK, it's true that a successful employee share ownership implementation works best alongside, you know, it, it's friendly policies, performance management, decision taking, training programs, whatever they might be. All the research in the UK and all the research in the US supports that position unanimously. But look, the sister policies that remain for the gig workers are one, profit sharing. I'm going to say a little bit more about that on the subsequent slide, but also corporate communications. And, and when you actually share the corporate communications between both employees and gig workers alike at the same meeting, that can act as a very, very powerful unifier behind the company's vision. Let's go to question four. Next slide. 
So gig workers and employees can be easily categorized as separate groups of workers. You know, there are people who categorize groups or categorize people into groups. I think that's an awful thing to do, but it is an, in, it is an instinct which often prevails in a, in a corporate environment. So how can the attractions of employment be preserved if gig workers have share schemes which should previously be the privileged preserve of the employed workforce? And the employee or, or, or the group of employees is, is sitting there or standing there saying, look, we're the employees of the company. It's our company, not theirs. Awful attitude. And we want to try and uh, uh, dis <coughs> dissuade people from, from ever thinking like that. Well, this is my answer. <coughs> the employment attractions of pension schemes, holiday pay, sick pay remain for the employees together with a perceived safety at least at least it's perceived a perceived safety in that employment and the sense of belonging to an entity larger than themselves that they believe mitigates against risk that's associated with self-employment whether or not that's a mirage we could debate that till kingdom come um, because there is such a thing as redundancy um, the downside of the perceived categorization is the development of a defensive form of of protectionism. Protectionism can often form in a big corporate environment. It can be departmental protectionism. It can be protectionism that's geared to loyalty to a director. But, you know, there is such a thing as employee protectionism uh, against uh, the gig worker community. And the senior management of the company must be aware of that because um, the company must always guard against any form of, of protectionism. It's always a negative. It's always a defensive negative. And when it appears within its ranks, um, well, its effects can be corrosive and potentially, if left unchecked, and I have seen this in a company, threaten the very existence of the company. So let's bring the gig workers and the employees together. Okay, let's go to the next slide. Understanding the gig workers' mindset and the approach to work. So the gig workers typically are really motivated, energetic individual. They've mastered in varying degrees, depending on, on the individual, um, the integration, as I call it, when I write about these things, it's necessary to run a one-person, one-owned business. You know, the one-person, one-owned business has to do everything. They have to do sales, they have to do marketing, they have to do production, they have to do um, uh, human resource management if they've got people working for them. I suppose then they wouldn't be one man. They might be two men or two women or whatever it might be. Um, I call it the Candyman can. Yeah, and some of you may have written my piece I, I wrote years ago called the Candyman can. It's like the hot dog man can as well. Um, you know, th they do everything when they're selling their hot dogs or selling their candy outside the sports arena or the, 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 the cinema or the movie theatre or whatever. OK, they solve their own problems they manage their own business finances. If the gig worker is running the business through a small company, then the argument can be that they have their own share scheme through their own share capital. So we should be encouraging them and doing everything we can to support them in building their, 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 their little company strengthening their share capital and strengthening their capacity to withdraw funds to invest. And, and that's really where, where the, 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 the profit share dynamic comes in, to actually feed into gig workers' profit share. That, that might be a better alternative than a share scheme in certain circumstances. So the motivation for the gig worker is to grow the value, grow the value of the company, invest, build their personal freedom. And in most cases, a profit sharing scheme can fit the bill. And it solves that problem, doesn't it, of the rationing of shares. The gig workers' energy and motivation is usually harnessed to an efficiency, to a discipline, to get the job done rather than to serve the time. Remember those definitions. It's not time served, it's tax accomplished. And that's where this principle comes from. It's harnessed to an efficiency and a discipline to get the job done. The gig worker is an entrepreneur. 
and, res and listen to this, this is a really important point, and I've seen this on many occasions. Respect shown by the company's senior management to the gig worker for taking the initiative to become an entrepreneur is a really powerful element to bind that gig worker to the company. So I'm looking at share schemes for the gig worker, yes, but I'm looking at other things as well. So um, let's go on to this next slide, Ian. Uh, when will a share scheme be suitable for a gig worker? So this is this is my terminology, David Craddock terminology. I've got a piece coming out in Chartered One um, at the uh, I think it's at the end of next month actually uh, on on gig workers, and I divide these these definitions for that. Um, the, is the is is the gig worker you're looking at um, is he or she a customer focused gig worker or a supplier focused gig worker? What do we mean by the terms? Again, let's define the terms. So important in this subject. So by customer base. I mean that the gig worker is servicing or serving a multiplicity of customers from the base of his or her own operation, maybe from their home. OK, for example, the gig worker set up a self-employed business. I've got a friend who does this, set up a self-employed business, providing bookkeeping accounting service from home, primarily on a virtual basis. The gig worker does not expect to be involved in a share scheme with those customers. Yeah. Although in certain circumstances, this type of worker might be invited to participate, but not usual. But what about the supplier-focused gig worker? The supplier-focused gig worker, uh, what I mean by that is the gig worker focused and dependent on one major supplier. So this is the, the delivery type person or the Uber type person. Uh, in, in those circumstances, there's, there's a propensity for a natural sense of identification with the one supplier company thereby potentially making some form of share scheme a natural fit okay and they're the examples why are the examples well they're quoted companies for one thing um and therefore there's a daily public display of their share movement okay let's go on to the next slide let's go on to the next slide okay the purpose of an employee share scheme how does it fit with the purpose of what we might call a worker share scheme which which would embrace um gig workers uh, and, and it might be that come the day, and I think there will come the day, you know, and I'm here advocating it, when an employee share scheme becomes a worker share scheme, yes, covering not just employed persons, but self-employed persons who have a natural fit identifying with the company. So all the UK and UK research um, identifies these three key reasons for introducing employee share scheme. Identification involvement of employees motivation and incentive of employees and retention and recruitment of employees and in, in the light of the analysis provided by this presentation i asked the question how do these three reasons align with the introduction of a share scheme for gig workers who are not employees the answer is potentially complicated but you know this this, this is a this is a bamba gascoigne jeremy paxman university challenge starter for 10. um for the supplier focused gig worker yes a real possibility. Um, that's the sort of person attached to Uber or Deliveroo or one of the, the, those type of companies. If it's customer focused gig worker, then uh, yes, if part of the integral team, let's say if they're part of the key management team, for example, you might want to align them with the company through a share scheme. These next two slides are about tax. Services might be provided through a service company. Um, if so, then the shares could become could actually could actually be treated as employment related securities, uh, even though they're not an employee 
of the the the, the, uh, the, the, the dominant primary company, the company with, with which they have the primary relationship to provide the service. But because they're operating through their own service company, uh, it could be that their shares are classed as employment related securities and taxed as such, although there, there are some quite useful tax planning techniques around that. And then this next slide, if they're not working as a service company, next slide in, uh, they're working in a, in a self-employed status. And the key there is to take title to the shares as early as possible so that you can get into the capital gains tax regime. As long as it's an option, um, any, any gain arising on the option will be treated as part of business profits. But we, we, we want to get ownership of the shares into the hands of the people as early as possible so that as much as possible of the gain can fall into the capital gains tax regime, which, of course, is uh, under current legislation, um, and we hope that's not going to change, uh, less punitive. Um, with them owning the shares, there should, there should always be forfeiture provisions uh, within the Articles of Association which require them to forfeit um, in the event of leaving. So that's my presentation. 29 minutes past. How's, how's that going then, Ian? Is that OK? Uh, and that's something about me uh, and, and what we do to our business, David Hatton Consultancy Services. Do feel free to let us know if we can help you. Thank you. You're always good at sticking to time, David, and I appreciate that. Makes my job a lot easier. Well, thank you very much, for David. We've now got time for some questions and answers. Yeah. Um, but actually, I, I, I would like to ask a, a, a question that's very much on my mind um, uh, initially, yeah. if I if I uh, if I may pre presume upon um, uh, everybody, um, uh, which is the, the the notion of you know why what, what, why are we doing all of this? And one of the reasons that the, the many of us as uh, commercial companies are keen on uh, employee um, or, or, or keen on uh, you know, share ownership arrangements is, is because we believe that it binds people in, uh, that it helps with productivity, it helps with loyalty um, and, 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 and things like that. So, so one of the things I was wondering, uh, David, is do you have any examples where you have experience of seeing how this sort of um, arrangement for non-employees, for associates or for gig workers, as we're now calling them, um, uh, actually delivers results for, uh, for, for, for the companies that put these schemes in place. Yeah, in, 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 the, in smaller companies, not in a quoted company, I have to say, but in, in quoted companies, yes. Uh, sorry, in unquoted companies, yes, uh, where okay. there could be anything from five to ten uh, self-employed individuals. Um, we've worked out through, through our practice here uh, ways in which you can actually do that and be consistent with the laws and not have to produce a prospectus and um, make sure that um, you're compliant with the regulated activities and the financial services. There, there are various various exemptions that you tap into, uh, which are different from the exemptions that you tap into for the employee scheme. Um, and the key, the key is, and I reiterate it, the simple message directly communicated. Th th thank you for that, uh, uh, David. Um, we, we have a, a, a brace of questions, um, I, I should call it, from, um, uh, from Helen Hopkins. Um, oh, and and they're, not the, 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 they're slightly different subjects, but I will put both of them together. Um, mm. Firstly, she wants to know whether you're just talking about distribution of profits or are you talking about actual shares for um, gig workers? Um, and then she goes on to ask, which is why I think the questions are slightly r r related um, to sort of help with her, her and perhaps our understanding of 
uh, what you're saying. If a share plan was considered to be an employment-related security for gig workers, would the company need to include share allocations and events within the company tax return? So it's just trying to understand mechanistically, um, yeah. can this actually work as a share um, uh, uh, allocation arrangement with the, with gig workers, and and some extent how that that might work. So the um, the form forty two electronic equivalent is purely for employees and directors. It does include directors, even if they're not employees. Um, it doesn't include uh, self-employed individuals who are not directors. But if they're operating through uh, their own service company, yes, remember the penultimate slide of my presentation, um, then uh, they will almost certainly have to make a return to their own service company of the Form 42 electronic equivalent, because they will be deemed to have received those shares, even though from another company, by virtue of being employed by their service company. That's the technical point there, okay? Uh, the position about uh, the, the first question that Helen asked, um, uh, I, am, I am advocating, as I always advocate with regard to employee motivation, um, flexibility. Be flexible as to what you believe works within your company. If a share scheme works, working with real shares, then yes, go for share scheme. It might be that profit sharing is the better alternative, okay? Um, always supported by whatever human resource activity you consider to be appropriate. So, yes, it's difficult to put them through training programs, although we have got a client that puts self-employed people through training programs, um, but unusual, um, and unusual for them to have performance management. I don't know of any any company, any client companies of ours where there are self-employed people who have performance management. Um, but, yes, share schemes if appropriate, profit sharing if appropriate, uh, my my own take is that uh, gig workers do value profit sharing because it enables them to build up their own independent pension pot, an investment pot, independent of of any company, and any any of their customer companies. Um, yeah, and there's also the soft factors as well. And what, what, one of the soft factors I put in was was this really, um, which was the um, the senior management of of the company they're serving recognizing their initiative to set up as a gig worker, recognizing their entrepreneurial instinct, okay? My, my finding is that gig workers are often very proud of the fact that they've taken the risk, that they've gone out by themselves and they've exercised that entrepreneurial instinct to good effect and that it is producing value in the lives of, of them and their, and their families. That, that's, that, that's a really interesting answer. It, it does link to another, another question that's been in the back of, of my mind. So. Um, Helen hasn't asked this as a follow-up question, but I've got a funny feeling that she might, and that one or two other people in the audience might be um, uh, uh, thinking about this, based on the answer that you've just given. Is there a risk that some of the activities that the company might do in order to bring gig workers um, into the um, uh, share arrangements, or even the profit share, um, yeah. uh, you know, equity share arrangements or profit share arrangements, is there a risk that, that those activities might invalidate the gig workers' non-employment status, and how do you make sure that you don't do that? Not really, no. Um, in, in tax law, we have what are called the aggregate of factors. The aggregate of factors identify factors which contribute to um, the status of employment. And the, the involvement in a specifically non-employee share scheme um, by itself would not invalidate employment status. 
but 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 can you think of that some of the activities that you might do around these things would invalidate it or might invalidate well, it? Well, if if you're if you're also well if you're paying them on PYE, that's a bit of a giveaway, isn't Obviously. it? But you know, um, if you uh, if you're bringing them into a company pension scheme, which they, they probably have to be on PY anyway to, to have that. But you know, if if you're giving them holiday pay, for example, or or if, if you're scheduling out their 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 year in order to give them the opportunity for holiday weeks supported by holiday pay, or if you're giving them some sort of of sick pay. Um, you know, I mean, clearly, if they're not on PYA, it wouldn't, it wouldn't be the SSP arrangement. But if you're giving them some sort of sickness benefit, so it's mm -hmm. the aggregate factors principle, which is which is always applied. It's it's always applied. I remember very early on in my career preparing um, contracts for um, self-employed people and structuring those self-employed contracts in such a way that they wouldn't fall foul of the aggregate factors, which establish employment position. Hopefully, that helps, Ian. It 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 it, it does. I think um, um, one more question. Um, from Susan, who I think is is writing into us from the USA. Um, how is a UK gig worker different from a US gig worker? Um, and uh, could the UK tax approved um, uh, uh, tax advantaged employee share schemes be used for gig workers? Well, they're two very good questions again. We've got we've got lots of great questions in this session, Ian. Uh, well, let, 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 let me answer the second one first because it, it's UK centric. Um, the, the tax approved um, tax advantage, as we now call them, but it's the same thing, tax, tax approved tax advantage schemes, which is EMI, CSOP, SIP and SAYE. Um, in, in my view, um, they, they should be uh, uh, altered. It would have to be by legislation in order to accommodate gig workers, but, but under um, a very firm set of conditions. So it would have to be properly monitored, properly controlled by statute, uh, thereby enabling companies to properly monitor and control who becomes a member of that scheme. But um, th this gig economy, I mean, I, I showed you the numbers, the escalation, you know, double number from, from 16 to 19, and then, you know, that phenomenon we were looking for in 22. Um, I think it has to come that there will be a recognition of the importance of the gig worker and provided they meet certain conditions that they are actually brought into uh, the remit of the tax approved tax advantage schemes. The point uh, Susan makes about the, the US, well, um, the gig economy is enormous in the US. There are, um, uh, I think about 50, I think it's probably now top 60 million Americans um, which is what something like four. I mean, if, if the American workforce is 160 and there are 60 million Americans, it's somewhere around 40% of the American workforce involved in either full-time or part-time gig work activity. Uh, why? I've thought a lot about this, and and um, uh, pre-COVID, I used to visit America four or five times a year. COVID has grounded me for the time being, <laughs> but there you go, it'll come back. Um, <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, the point I want to make is that gig working is a manifestation or an expression of entrepreneurship. And entrepreneurship has very, very powerful roots in the US where you have a society which is built from bottom up. You know, the immigrants came in and they developed the land and they developed land sharing. Um, I, I write about this in the in the ESOP Institute Certificate of Employee Share Ownership Studies um, uh, papers. 
uh, in the UK, historically, you know, societies developed from feudal down, but, you know, we've caught up a long way uh, where there's initiative from all sorts of, uh, of places in the economy. But, but the, the, the reason why it's so much more powerful in the US is because entrepreneurship is, is historically so much more prevalent and, and, and respected and honored and, and, and powerful there. You know, you, you look to where America was, you know, a dirt track in Chicago in 1800, and look where Chicago is now, or Los Angeles, or New York. You know, it's 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 not it's not for an absence of entrepreneurship that they've got there. It's because they have truly embraced entrepreneurship and built these these massive, powerful, um, profit-generating businesses. Okay, one. I I think it does. One final follow-up question from Helen: Have you seen examples of separate non-employee share schemes set up rather than? making gig workers eligible for an existing scheme? Well, yes, uh, yes. Um, uh, when, when we've introduced, when we've introduced schemes for non-employees, we've, 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 we've copied the format of the scheme we've introduced for the employees, but with a completely different tax regime. Yeah. And that might be that we're copying a tax approved tax advantage scheme or alternatively, I mean, I did one. I did one in China some years ago, and um, uh, actually, this was this was for a major quoted company, which ultimately got got taken over, um, and it, and it was very, very, very powerful indeed. Um, and that that was actually a phantom share option scheme, just to illustrate the the um, flexibility that you need to ad address here in, in meeting the need of the company. You know, going back to Helen's previous question. You know, am I just advocating profit share or share schemes? I'm advocating share schemes where it works using real shares, share schemes where it works using phantom type arrangements, um, profit sharing where that works. It's a question of being sensitive to the needs of the company uh, and following following in detail the results of the consultation that you have with, with the directors and fine tuning, refining, bespoking the arrangement appropriately, which is what we do through our business. You know, we, we provide a detailed consultancy arrangement. Uh, that, that's brilliant. The, the very final question, uh, I, I'm going to answer myself. Okay, in fact, in. The, person, the person who sent in the question answered it for himself. I'll, I'll, I'll let him remain anonymous because he said, is it possible to have copies of the, of, of the slides from today? And they said, oops, I've just found them um, on, on the website. And in fact, my answer to that question is, yes, they are up on the, the website. And in fact, the videos of the um, of the presentations go up on, on the website and not just this one but this is one of, of quite a lengthy series i think this might be number 11. number 11 ian that's right yeah, can, can, yeah. Can I say, so, can I say, so we, we i just say i specifically create those slides in such a way that people can look back at them afterwards and, and understand the principles but one thing i've, I've found over, over my career is how frustrating it is to go to a presentation and and you've got you know five points with five words and you go back afterwards, and you think, well, what was that point? Well, yeah, you know, I include the detail of my point so you can go back and hopefully keep it in your in your mind's eye and apply it in your business. Yeah, I mean, these slides, these slides are very helpful. So to, 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 to that gentleman who says that he's interested in, in, uh, in setting up such a scheme, I, I would recommend just have at least a skim of the other subjects that we've covered, because there might be some, some, some detail about the different types of, of uh, employee um, share ownership schemes uh, that, that, that might be suitable for you from that from those from those earlier um from those earlier webinars i have three rounds of thank yous um uh, for uh, today there are some thank yous coming in in fact by uh, in in the questions box so thank you for your uh, thank yous everybody um i would like once again to thank the sponsors these are the esop center 
uh, sponsors again. Uh, we're very grateful to you for your uh, for your for your membership and for your for forbearance, so that we can can do all of these things, and indeed the FS Club generally, and all of these wonderful organisations who um, enable us uh, to, to put on uh, this series of, of, of webinars. Um, I of course want to thank you, the audience, for um, uh, for coming along and for. Uh, for, for participating in this webinar, the question and answer session has been uh, uh, has, has been excellent uh, to, to today. Um, just before I do the third thank you, um, just to point out to everybody, not only are all the slides um, and, and videos up, but there are all manner of resources on uh, the website um, for uh, ESOP Centre uh, as, as a subject matter, but all of the subjects that we cover in the FS Club, there are FS Club bulletins. On, on all manner of subjects. If you go to the uh, website, um, you can subscribe um, uh, to, to various of these and jolly useful they are too. Um, so thank you for listening. Um, if, you're, if you like our webinars in, in general, um, this is the list of webinars that are, that are coming up next. The good news um, for all of you is, is that the subjects are many and varied. Um, deforestation linked to sovereign bonds, uh, tomorrow on Thursday, all party parliamentary groups, um, which is a, a fa fascinating uh, topic. Uh, deception truth analysis for investors on Monday um, and a jolly subject for the, the following Thursday. This is how they tell me the world ends with cyber weapons. Um, the, 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 the bad news for you, if, if the thought of cyber weapons isn't, isn't bad enough, um, uh, is, is it just in, when you thought that you'd got shot of me, uh, I'm afraid you've got me again at nine o'clock on Thursday morning as uh, I'm going to be hosting the all-party parliamentary groups um, a discussion. Uh, but for today, the, um, uh, the next thing to do and the final thing to do is to thank David. Um, this is about the gig economy, so I'm still hopeful that I'm going to get a gig um, at, at some point. So I will thank him because we can't give the, the, the round of applause that I know, technically speaking, is ringing out throughout the, uh, the, the metaverse of our, our audience. Um, I will musically thank you with your initials and uh, D, C. That's D, C. Thank you very, very much, David. And thank you, everybody. Uh, we look forward to seeing you again sometime soon. Thank you.